who just had a baby, okay, so they're, they're, they're first-time parents. Uh, and I mean, of course, I used to be a first-time parent as well. Uh, but now that I've been a parent for about eight years, uh, I have a little bit of perspective. And now I'm looking at my friends, right, and I realize some stuff, okay? You know, they, um, they're like non-stop posting about their baby, okay? Just like tons and tons of photos and videos of their kid. And they all look the same, okay? Because, I mean, the baby is like one month or, or two months old, right? There, there's, what can he do? Nothing, all right? He, I mean, he can cry maybe, right? Can he do like different poses? No, just lies there and uh, like maybe sometimes he yawns, right? Or, or, or yeah, that's about it, okay? But it's like the entire feed is their baby's face. And every photo looks exactly the same. But no judgment, because it's exactly what I used to do, <laughs> right? I was exactly the same. I mean, the last time I had a baby was uh, uh, two and a half years ago. And, and you know, on the first day of her life, right, maybe like within the first few hours that she was born, I think my phone had like 50 photos of her already. And it's just, it's just her face, you know? Actually, I, I mean, because Justine's my third kid, right? So by, by the third kid, I realized, like, uh, lol, they're all exactly the same. <laughs> you know, they're just, they're just that face. And, and, like, I have these videos of her doing um, absolutely nothing, right? She's just like, and I'm like, ah, so cute, you know? I mean, she's maybe, maybe she's just breathing, you know? She's just, like, lying there, or maybe she's pooping, who knows, right? But you're just, you know, you're just like so in love with this little human being. Um, and, and, and you're just like all like hard eyes and like, oh my gosh, right? And do you, know that, do you know that human babies are the most useless species? Do you realize that? Like, you know, like with cows, right? Cows, they give birth to the calves, right? And then like within minutes, right, they're walking, Right, or like, you know, I don't know, horse or donkeys, they whatever, they give birth. And like, or, or like fish, I guess, they give birth and, and then like, is it, do they give birth to eggs or what? Yeah, and, and, then, and, then, and then like within minutes, they're born and they're swimming, right? Or, or the, the baby cow or whatever, it is, they're, they're walking. But human babies are the most useless thing, right? They just lie there and they can do nothing. Right? They're completely useless on their own. But as parents, we are like besotted with them. Right? We're like, oh my gosh, is that it's like they're doing absolutely nothing, just lying there, but we're like, so cute. And you know, you know, um when 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 I was a new mother, right, the first time I had a kid, like everybody, everybody told me, right, um, you you should sleep when the baby sleeps. Okay? Because like the baby has to feed like every few hours and, and you know it's very tiring on it. So every time the baby sleeps, just like, you know, make sure you use that time to catch up on your sleep. Oh, nobody does that, okay? When the baby is sleeping, you're just like taking photos of the baby. You're like, oh my gosh, she's so cute. And you're just like, oh, she's so beautiful, right? And 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 you're just there, like looking at her, you know, with your hot eyes emoji and all that. Now, I have recovered from that a little bit because uh now my kids are older, 
and uh, they have a lot more capacity to do stupid things and say annoying things uh, and, and do many dumb things. But still, right, every, every like, I mean, when you get to teenagers, like, it's just a whole new, okay. When, <laughs> you know, I've, I've, I, I, I still, from time to time, right, I look at my kids, I have three of them, right? I, I look at my kids um, every now and then, and okay, usually it's when they're sleeping, when they're not, not doing anything annoying, right? And, and I still look at them with the hard eyes, you know, and I'm just like, oh, you know, they're so cute, and they're like, they're, I mean, look at them, you know, they're mine. Right? Actually, actually, you know, in this photo, right, Justine is being so annoying, okay? Because she's, can you see that green thing in her hand? She's like insisting on playing with the, the, the bubbles, okay? And she refused to put them down for the photo, okay, anyway. So sometimes I just look at them and I'm like, oh, you're so cute. Okay, but actually, you know, she, she still looks quite calm here, right? But actually, she's so grumpy. Um, yeah, but still, you know, I look at them and, and I'm just like, oh, man, they're, I love them so much, you know? And, and, um, and sometimes, sometimes I actually ask my kids, you know, hey, why are you so beautiful? You know, or I ask them like, why are you so cute? And then they're like, because I am cute, all right? Or like, or like, you know, they're, they're sleeping and, and I'm just looking at them and I'm just like, oh, they're so good looking, man. Like, oh, I really love them so much. And, and you know, it's not because of anything they do, right? It's not because like they, they achieve like first in class or whatever, you know? It's, it's not because of anything they do. It's just, it's simply because they're mine, right? Like I look at them and I'm like, I made that. Okay, I mean, I didn't, well, you know, God made them, right? Okay, but, but you know what I mean, right? They're mine, right? And, and, and even though they, they can't really do much for me, right? They're still quite young. Um, even though they can be really, like, naughty, they can be pretty annoying, you know, even though being a parent means making a lot of sacrifices and, and, and all that, right? You know, when, when, I, first, when I first gave birth uh, to Gemma, someone from church, she called me and she's like, congratulations, you will now be tired for the rest of your life. And uh, that, that is true. That is absolutely true. Right, mothers? Right? <laughs> and, you know, even though, even though, right, it's tiring, they can be nothing, you just, you love them because they're yours, right? And you just, you just love them. And in the last sermon, I shared a little bit about how um, how being married to my husband has, has taught me a little bit about, you know, unconditional covenant love, right? You know, being a parent has taught me, like, so much, right? Being a parent has taught me so much about God, and it's, it's given me, like, a tiny glimpse of how God the Father feels about us. Because if you realize, right, all of us, we are like this we're small, useless things, you know? What can we do for God that God cannot do on His own, right? Sometimes we serve God and we're like, wow, God, you know, I'm doing you a favor, you know, I serve you in a worship team, I practice the guitar very hard, I have to come to church at 11 a.m., and then I go for this, like, super long worship practice, and, and, all, and what? You think God can't make His own heavenly music by Himself, right? And, and yet, and yet, you know, we stand there and like, we play some lousy chord and we sing like out of tune or whatever. But God, God is like, oh my gosh, like heart eyes. Like he's worshiping me. That's how God the Father feels, right? That's how God the Father feels about us. Like we do, we do nothing at all. We're just lying there. We're just we're existing. We're just like useless and, and doing nothing. And God is like, ah, oh, that's my boy. 
that's my girl, you know. Those are my kids, my pride, my joy. And, and God just looks at us with love and, and with pleasure simply because we are His. Simply because we are His. Right? He is God, our Father. He's our, our good, good, heavenly Father. And we are His children. Right? We are sons and daughters of the Most High. That is how God looks at you. And you know, we're not perfect kids. Right? None of us are. And we're, we're exactly like the nation of Israel. The last sermon, we looked at how Israel was the unfaithful wife, right? The wife that kept cheating on the husband. And yet, the loving husband takes her back again and again, even buys her back. Today, we're going to look at how Israel is the rebellious son, turning away from the loving father time and time again. And yet, God keeps loving us, keeps calling us back. And you know, just like if you've read the story of the prodigal son, just like the father in the prodigal son story, God is, he's just so happy when the rebellious son returns because that is the heart of the father. You may have screwed up big time, messed up, gone out, done stupid things, but his love was never based on what you do or what you don't do. And all the father wants is for you to come home. In the first sermon, two weeks ago, we looked at Hosea chapter 1 to 3, right? Last week in your CGs, um, you looked at Hosea 4 to 11. And today, we're going to round up the series, okay? How many of you actually managed to read through the entire book of Hosea? Very good. Why are you ashamed? You must raise your hand and be proud that you finished reading the book of Hosea. Okay, now I know that this book is not the easiest to read right? There's a little bit of narrative going on. Um, there's a lot of prophecy, and it's not, it, you know, even the narrative is not really linear, right? It's not straightforward. But, you know, I really believe that there is, there is a message for us in this book, okay? So today, last sermon, but let's persevere in studying God's Word. And I'm going to ask you to leave your Bibles open um, at chapters 11 to 14, okay? We're going like, to look at the last few chapters, and I'm going to try to take you through um, now, I'm going to be looking at, at the, the, these last couple of chapters at, at one go, okay? And I will be kind of jumping here and there a little, uh, looking at different verses. So, so, so we've got to follow along, okay? Is that okay? Are we okay? All right, let's pray. Come, let's come before God and ask Him to speak to us today. Let's pray. Father, we praise You, we worship You, and we say we love You. And God, sometimes Your Word is not always easy to understand. But God, we believe with all our hearts that all Scripture is God-breathed. And we believe that your, your Word has power to change our lives. God, we believe that your Word is living and active and will speak to us today. And so God, I pray that this will not just be a, a human intellectual message. This will not just be some information. But Spirit, I pray that you will speak to us and convict us today. God, would you come and transform our lives that we may love you more and please you more and know you more. So Spirit, we ask you come and be glorified, be at the center here today. Speak to each of us, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, let's start at Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. Okay? Now, Hosea 11, 1 says this. When Israel was a child... I loved him. Okay, this is God, 
the father speaking. And he's saying that when Israel was a child, when Israel could do absolutely nothing, right? I loved him because he's mine. I called Israel my son. Verse 3, I taught him to walk, taking him by his arms, right? Verse 4, I was leading him, feeding him, right? And there's a picture of a father and, and his son, right? His young son. But Israel didn't realize what the father was doing for them. And God says, verse 2, the more I called Israel, the further they went for me. You see, previously, right, we talked about Hosea and Gomer, right? Previously, God used the analogy of a marriage relationship, right? He used the real-life story of Hosea and Gomer to show our human unfaithfulness and his divine faithfulness. Now, in these last few chapters, God uses the picture of a father's love for a rebellious son. And he uses the real-life story of Jacob. Okay, I don't know if you are familiar with the story of Jacob. If you look at chapter 12, Hosea 12, Hosea 12, verse 2 onwards, the Lord has a charge to bring against Judah. He will punish Jacob according to his ways and repay him according to his deeds. In the womb, he grasped his brother's heel. As a man, he struggled with God. Now, if you're using the NIV, right, um, right next to the, the word, the, the name Jacob, you will see that there is a note, uh, and, and it says Jacob's name means he grasped the heel or he is a deceiver. He deceives. Okay, that's what Jacob me- names, uh, Jacob's name means. He grasps, he grabs. He's a grabber and he deceives. Now, if you know the story of Jacob, some of you, you may be familiar with the story of Jacob, and he was really a deceiver. Right? Jacob was actually a twin. Okay? Jacob and Esau, they, they, they're twins. And in Genesis 25, we read that already in their mother's womb, when they were fetuses, right, the babies were jostling and wrestling in the womb. They were kind of like fighting in the womb. And Esau was born first. Esau was the hairy one, okay? the red one, the hairy one. Esau was born first. But when Jacob came out, he was grasping his brother's heel. It's a very strange scene, right? You're deli- imagine you're delivering. Okay, I mean, you will never deliver. Imagine, right, the midwife is delivering the baby, right? The first one, oh, he's so red, he's so hairy. And then, and then, like, what's that on his heel? It's his brother's hand. The brother's coming out. The brother's like, I'm coming, right? And, you know, even as a fetus, right, even as a baby, Jacob was wrestling and grabbing and trying to get a hit, Right? And then the first thing we read about Jacob, do you remember the first incident about Jacob in the Bible? What is it? He stole, yeah, he stole his brother's birthright, okay? He manipulated his older brother into selling him uh, his birthright, okay? So what happens is Esau, Esau's the hairy red one, Esau's the hunter, he goes out hunting and he comes back and, and, and he's, he's dying from hunger, okay? That's literally what he said, I'm going to die. Okay, I'm so hungry, I'm going to die, right? Now, while Esau has been out hunting, Jacob is the, the indoors guy, okay? The whole day, he's been there making soup. So the brother's hunting, he's just there, like, boiling his soup or whatever, his stew, whatever. And, and, and Jacob is, is, he's the grabber, right? He's the schemer, and immediately he takes advantage of his brother's weakness to, to get the birthright. Oh, you hungry? You want some of this? You want a piece of this? You got to sell me your birthright, okay? So, and that, that's how he, he, he manipulates uh, his brother and gets the birthright. In those times, um, the firstborn, 
the firstborn, because they are worthy and the best, uh, the firstborn gets the inheritance, okay? And they have special inheritance rights, okay? And Jacob, because he's the secondborn, he managed to grab that birthright, which is not actually his, right? And so he's, he's, he's a deceiver, right? Now, second incident we read is, is um, even more uh, clearly deception, right? Genesis 27, okay? If you have read this before, what Jacob does, he goes and puts on some goats, okay? He puts on some, like, goat skin. Um, he wears his brother's clothes, kind of creepy, right? And then he goes and tricks his blind old father into thinking that he is Esau so that he can grab the special firstborn blessing, okay? And they're saying, like, in those times, you know, when, when, when the father... Um, blesses you, it's almost like an, an oral contract, you know. It's like he's, he's bequeathing like certain things to you and, and all that. And, 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 and so Jacob, um, you know, pulls off the stunt and, and he gets the, the special blessing. And, and later on when the truth is revealed, right, Isaac, his father, says to Esau, your brother came deceitfully, deceitfully and took your blessing. And Esau says, isn't he rightly named he deceives, right? Because Jacob means he deceives. He has, and Esau says, he has deceived me these two times. He took my birthright and now he's taken my blessing. So this is Jacob the deceiver, right? Now, if you, if you then go on to read in Genesis, you will know that Jacob later gets a new name. Do you know his new name? Israel, right? He gets a new name, Israel, and that is where the nation of Israel gets their name. Right? They're called Israelites because they descended from Israel, this guy Israel, who was actually Jacob. Okay? And so in Hosea 12, God's charge against Israel is this, that just like their namesake, just like the guy called Israel, just like the guy called Jacob, just like the deceiver, the nation of Israel is deceitful, they are lying, and they are unfaithful. Okay, you read these accusations, right? Chapter 11, verse 12. Ephraim. Ephraim is the other name that God uses for Israel in this book, okay? Ephraim has surrounded me with lies. Israel with deceit, right? Ephraim feeds on the wind. He pursues the east wind all day and multiplies lies and violence, okay? The merchant uses dishonest scales and loves to defraud. So basically, God is saying Israel is guilty of lies and deceit. Right? Why? They say they will return to God. They say they will serve God. They will worship Him and all that instead of the idols. But they're all lies. They are unfaithful to God time and time again. Right? Chapter 11, verse 2. They sacrifice to Baal. Right? Chapter 13, verse 2. They make idols for themselves. They sacrifice um, to their idols. And in their arrogance, in Israel's arrogance, okay, they worship idols um, um, they, they do all these things. And in their arrogance, they are unable to see their sin. If you look at chapter 12, verse 8, Ephraim boasts, I am very rich. I have become wealthy. With all my wealth, they will not find in me any iniquity or sin. Okay? And so Israel thinks they're fine because they have money. Basically, they're saying, I'm righteous because I'm rich, which makes no sense, Right? Now, I don't know if you, if, if you went through this last week uh, in your CGs, but basically, um, these are, there are seven eyes, right, that Israel was guilty of, okay? All these things, God was charging them with infidelity, independence, right? Not trusting in themselves that, rather than Him. 
Intrigue, which basically means like lies, deceit, right? Idolatry, ignorance, immorality, ingratitude. And throughout the book of Hosea, we read about all these sins of Israel, right? And as I said the last sermon, it's like a cycle. God brings a charge against them. God warns them of the coming judgment. God calls them to repentance. And yet, Israel will not obey. They remain unfaithful. They remain rebellious. They remain in their sin. Now, here's the thing. And, and, and here's the thing that I, I believe that um, a, lot of, a lot of people don't accept or they don't realize. You see, there are consequences to sin. Okay? There are consequences to sin. And I think that the book of Hosea reminds us of this, that sin is serious. Right? Sin is not something trivial or casual that we joke about. And, and, and all. Sin has consequences. Right? There are consequences. You see, God loves you. He always will. God is a God of forgiveness, right? He's a God of grace. He's a God of mercy. But it doesn't change the fact that sin has consequences, right? When the prodigal son left his father's house, his father never stopped loving him, right? His father was always ready to take him back. But because the son turned away, he ended up penniless in a pigsty, wishing he could eat the pig's food, right? There are consequences, God still loves you, the Father still loves you, but there are consequences when we sin and when we turn away from God. And it was the same with Jacob, okay? Jacob, after all his deceit and, and all his lying, there were consequences, right? What is the consequence? His brother Esau was really pissed off. And the brother Esau wanted to kill him. I mean, it's not surprising, right? Jacob tricked him twice. And so because of that, Jacob had to leave home. And he went, that's why he went to his uncle Laban's place, okay? Because his mother uh, realized, you know, Esau's really angry. Esau's just waiting for Isaac to die and Esau's going to kill you. So he, she said, better go, okay? And so if you look at uh, Hosea chapter 12, Hosea 12, 12 says, Jacob fled to the country of Aram. Okay, that's where Laban was. And there Israel served to get a wife and to pay for her, he tended sheep, right? Do you remember the story? Some of you may know it. The deceiver basically got deceived, right? He agreed to work seven years so that he could marry Rachel, the pretty one. Waiting for an amen in that corner. But, you know, his uncle deceived him, right? And on his wedding night, his uncle gave him the daughter with the weak eyes instead, right? And he only ran in the morning. And, and so by doing that, Laban deceived Jacob into working another seven years for him. And so Jacob had to work 14 years for the woman he loved. Guys, beat that. 14 years, okay, of toil and hardship to marry the woman he loved. And then if you read on um, in Genesis 31 and all that, right, you will see that Jacob actually, he wasn't treated very well uh, when he was with Laban, right? He said that Laban cheated him um, by changing his wages 10 times. Okay? Jacob said that he worked under, under not very good conditions. He called it hardship and toil. Okay? So basically, there are consequences. Right? Jacob pissed his family off. There was lying and deceit. He had to go away. And, and in, in that foreign land, I mean, in, in that um, land with Laban, he didn't have a great life. And it's the same for the nation of Israel. There are consequences for their sin. Right? In chapter 13, we see God once again speaking of the judgment that is to come because of Israel's sin. And actually, in fact, you read the whole book of Hosea, 
it's like God keeps warning, right? Judgment is coming. You better repent because judgment is coming. Um, chapter 13, verse 1. When Ephraim spoke, people trembled. He was exalted in Israel, but he became guilty of Baal worship and died. Okay, so that's the consequence, right? God is saying your sin will bring about death. And, and again, you may have covered this in your CG last week. You know, in the prophecy of Hosea, the death and destruction God talks about, um, specifically, it also refers to the Assyrian invasion. Assyria would invade Israel, right? And the nation of Assyria was famous for being violent and ruthless people, and they would soon invade Israel. And Israel was facing death in the sense that Israel as a nation will soon be conquered and therefore die, right? That is the death of Israel. Chapter 13, verse 7, Assyria will come like a lion, like a leopard, like the harsh east wind. And God says the people must bear their guilt, chapter 13, verse 16, because they have rebelled against their God. And, and it's a scary picture, right? He says they will fall by the sword. Their little ones will be dashed to the ground. Their pregnant women ripped open, right? It's very graphic, violent, disastrous, and tragic. This is what happens when there's war. The consequences of sin are not trivial, right? Sin is serious, and sin has consequences, right? And I think sometimes, sometimes we take sin lightly, right? And we joke about sin um, like it's a casual thing. But really, sin has disastrous consequences, right? Sin ultimately brings about death. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. And so, as we come to the end of Hosea, right, the very brief summary of the entire book, really, okay, the TLDR is this. Israel has turned away from God and, and sinned, and Israel keeps sinning, right? In love, God warns them of the consequences of sin, right? He warns them of the judgment that is, that is to come, but they are unrepentant, and they think they are doing fine. And Israel is the unfaithful wife, the rebellious child, and so ultimately, they have to face the consequences of their sin. They have to face the judgment of the Holy One, and they have to pay for their sin because they chose the idols. They chose the, the Baals and, and, and the other lovers instead of God, their Savior, their helper, their loving husband, right? And so God warns of the death of the nation of Israel because they chose death instead of life, okay? Do we get, do we get that, that just brief, brief overview? Now, lest we forget that this is not just a story about stuff that happened long, long ago, Remember in the last sermon, we talked about how this applies to Israel and God, but it also applies today to us and God. Because if you think about it, very often, we are very much like Israel, right? Time and time again, we turn away from God, despite His love for us, despite His, His faithfulness to us. We, we are the unfaithful wife. We are the rebellious child. Right? And we turn, we turn to our own idols, we turn to our own ways, we forget that there are consequences to our sin, and we think that we are fine on our own. And we say things like, yeah, God, will serve you, we'll worship you, but we just say it. We just say it and we don't actually obey Him. And despite God's warnings, despite God wooing us back, 
very often, we still choose to turn away and we choose death instead of life. Now, I don't know if you all can identify with this. Um, I sure can, right? In my Christian life, and I've been a Christian for a long time, sometimes it just feels like it's a cycle, right, of me saying, yes, God, I'll follow you, I'll give you my life, and, and then still choosing you know, to do stupid things, do my own things, disobey, turn away, turn to other things. And it seems like you know, it's just this cycle, right? Keep failing God time and time again. And so, so what do we do, right? Is it just doom and gloom? Of course, there is a but, right? Of course, there is a but. Yes, sin has consequences. Yes, sin is serious. Yes, we are sinning all the time. But, but this book will not be called the good news if there is no but. You see, at the end of every tunnel of judgment, there is light and there is love, right? Chapter 13, verse 1, God says, Israel is guilty and they died. Basically, they died. It's a judgment of death. But then look at verse 14. Chapter 13, verse 14. The wages of sin is death, and yet, because of God's amazing, miraculous grace, there is still hope for Israel after the judgment of death. And verse 14 says, so God says, Israel is, is dead, right? You're dead to me. It's judgment of death. And yet in verse 14, I will deliver these people from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. Where, O death, are your plagues? Where, O grave, is your destruction? And God gives the nation of Israel a promise of redemption even after their death. Death is supposed to be the end, right? Death is supposed to be like, that's it. No more hope. They're going to be, they're conquered and that's it. But God says, no, there's always hope. There's still hope. And God says he will ransom them and he will save them. And it's the same for us, isn't it? Does this verse sound familiar? Does it sound familiar? We sing about it. Oh, trampled death, where is your sting? The angels roar for Christ the King, yes? Right? You see, this this is the great gospel hope. This is the light at the end of the tunnel of judgment, right? The Bible says we all have sinned and the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And you know, years and years and years later, Paul quotes this verse in Hosea in his letter to the Corinthians when he talks about the resurrection of Jesus Christ who defeated death. And he says, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Right? Because the evil one thought, that's it. I've, you know, death has taken over. That's it. But God says, no. There is victory and there is hope because Jesus conquered even death. And the living God in his grace and mercy and love, because he so loved the world, gave his only son, who died on the cross and gave us victory over sin and over death. And so, yes, there are consequences to sin. Yes, the wages of sin is death. But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Right? So, yes, we all have sin. The wages of sin is death. Our sin, um, our rejection of God, right? Our rebellion is so serious that God Himself had to come and die in our place. But that is precisely our hope 
for salvation. That our sin was great, but His love was greater. And that is why the main message in Hosea is ultimately not one of condemnation or judgment. It doesn't stop there. If you read the last chapter of Hosea, it is really a call to return. Return to the Lord your God. If you look at Hosea chapter 14, last chapter, this is the climax of the book. This is the Lord making a final appeal after Israel's years of prostitution and rebellion and turning away, God says, return. Return to the Lord your God. And that is the main call of Hosea, to return. Let's go back for a while to the story of Jacob. You know, if you look at Hosea 12, right, Israel is likened to, to Jacob, okay? And there's this little narrative there. Hosea 12, uh, verse 3, in the womb, he, Jacob, he grasped his brother's heel as a man. He struggled with God. He struggled with the angel and overcame him. He wept and begged for his favor. He found him at Bethel and talked with him there. The Lord God Almighty, the Lord is his name. Verse 6, but you must return to your God, maintain love and justice, and wait for your God always. You know, this week, um, I struggled quite a bit trying to prepare for this message. Um, and I was trying to figure out, you know, what is it about this Jacob story? Why does Hosea and, and God, you know, talk about Jacob specifically? What, 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 what's the message here? And I think the key lies in, in, in Hosea 12.4, right? It is this incident at Bethel. It is this incident where Jacob wrestled with God. Okay, I don't know if you've read this. For those of you who are not familiar with the story, it appears in Genesis 32. Okay, one night... Um, Jacob, he wrestles with this guy and he almost manages to uh, overpower him except that the guy touches his hip socket and then his hip is busted and then Jacob realizes, oh, this is not an ordinary guy and so Jacob tells the guy, I will not let you go unless you bless me and the guy blesses him and the guy doesn't just bless him, the guy says, oh, now you have a new name, you're called Israel uh, which means, Israel means struggles with God, okay? And he says, you're now called Israel because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Now, I don't know about you. I've always found this a really strange story. It's, it's really a bit, a bit strange, right? What is this random wrestling scene, right? It's like this random, like, he's sleeping. I mean, it's at night, and it's like, oh, I'll wrestle with this guy. Like, this guy appeared, and he wrestled. And, 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 and then, like, true, it's like, kind of like true to his nature. Um, Jacob tries to grab something, like, get, bless me, bless me. I want a blessing, right? And, and, like, is it just another example of Jacob, like, just grabbing things and, and, and then why does Hosea mention this incident here um, in this context, right? What's going on? Now, here's what I think, okay? You must understand that the background to this wrestling story is that God told Jacob to go back to the land of his father and his family. God told Jacob to return home, okay? This wrestling incident takes place as part of Jacob's journey of returning, okay? You see, years ago, Jacob had deceived his brother. He had deceived his father. And because of that, he was asked to leave the family. And then he went to live with his uncle Laban, right? Where he was deceived. And he had to work long and hard. And he was cheater, you know, his wages and, and all that. And, and it's a little, little bit, a little bit like the prodigal son story, 
right? That he screwed up with his family, basically, and so he had to leave home. And now, God is telling Jacob, I want you to return. Return. Go home. Now, in this journey of returning though, Jacob realized that he has to pass through the country of Edom, which is where Esau lives, okay? And he was clearly nervous about this because years had passed, but Jacob knows and he remembers what he did to his brother. He remembers his deceit. He remembers Esau's anger. He remembers that Esau wanted to kill him. And if he remembers, Esau probably remembers too. And that is why in his journey of returning, if you read the Bible, Jacob kept sending all these messengers in front of him to tell Esau like, 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 like a, a messenger, go ahead and, and tell Esau like, Hi, it's me, your servant, Jacob. I'm your servant here. And uh, by the way, here are 200 goats and 200 uh, sheep. And here are some camels and cows and donkeys uh, and bulls. And they're all presents for you. It's your servant here. Like, that's, that's what he's doing. He's like, go, go, go. Go ahead. You know, if you, if you see Esau, like, tell him all this. Like, it's from your servant, Jacob. And meanwhile, he was praying, God, save me. I am terrified that my brother is going to kill me. Right? He says, I'm scared. I'm really scared. He's going to attack me, and he's going to attack my family. And so Jacob was clearly still struggling with his guilt of what he had done to his brother. Right? And, and, and just before this wrestling incident, right, we read that Jacob sent his wives, his servants, his, his sons, all his possessions across the river first. He sent everything across, the Bible tells us, so Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him. Right? He was left alone. He sent his family on first so that he, he had to come to a place where it was just him and God, no one else. And I believe he had to come to a place where he had to do business with God. He had to seek God, talk to God, and have that encounter with God. And this was his moment of encounter with God. He had to face up to his past sin, his, you know, all that he did in the past. And I think in that moment, Jacob realized that for all his tricks and schemes, that he had always relied on to get him through. Ultimately, he still had to return to God. He cannot do it on his own. You see, all his life, Jacob had been struggling and wrestling with men, trying to prevail. He struggled with his brother. He struggled with his uncle Laban. But really, it is God, not men, that we need to wrestle with. Ultimately, it is God whom we need to confront encounter and face up to because it is God who ultimately affects our destiny and, and holds our life and ultimately influences our lives. See, I believe that this wrestling incident, in this incident, it was not the opportunistic Jacob saying, hey, bless me, wow, I just caught this like angelic guy, I want him to bless him. It wasn't like that because if you read Hosea chapter 12, verse 4, it says, Jacob wept. He wept and he begged for God's favor. And I think that verse, that verse tells me a lot about that incident. You see, Jacob was wrestling not to break away from God. He was wrestling not to like win God, like do his own thing or like just squeeze out some blessing. No, 
Jacob was wrestling because he was trying to hold on to God for his dear life because he realized that there is nothing else that he can hold on to. And this is Jacob weeping and saying, God, I will not let you go because I cannot do it on my own. I need you. I can't do this. And that is why he says, God, don't pass me by. I will not let you go. And I believe that that is the heart of Jacob when he was wrestling. You see, at the end of his wrestling incident, Jacob didn't just obtain a blessing, you know, like, like oh, he collected some coins, that kind of thing. He didn't just obtain a blessing. You see, he came to an acknowledgement of the holiness and mercy of God. He says, I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. He came to an acknowledgement of the holiness and the mercy of God after this wrestling. And I believe that Hosea, Hosea's message to the people was that if this, if this can happen to the deceitful, rebellious son, Jacob, then Israel, it can happen to you too. That there is hope, Israel, despite your deceit and sin. There is hope that Israel will ultimately come to an acknowledgement of their need for God and how holy and merciful and loving He is. Which is why Hosea says, chapter 12, verse 6, but you must return to your God. Return. Hold fast to love and justice and wait continually for your God. You know, in the same way, I really believe that, that God is calling us to return to Him. Just like He called Jacob to return. And sometimes, sometimes this returning may involve a wrestling with God. Sometimes it may involve struggling with God. And that's okay. That's normal. Because it's often after we struggle that we grow. And the angel said to God, so the angel said to Jacob, you have struggled with God and man and have overcome. And you know, he didn't mean that you have overcome God because that's not possible. I think what he meant was that after that struggling and after that wrestling, that there will be a sense of overcoming. That we will come to a place where we see a little better and we understand God a little better or at least we realize a little bit more our need for God. And so I want to urge you today to seek that encounter with God just like Jacob had. Not to like wrestle and just try to gain some blessing for yourself, but that there may be wrestling and struggling in our journey to return to God. And that's fine, but return and come to an acknowledgement that you cannot make it on your own. And tell God, I will not let you go because I need you. I can't. I can't let you go. And so God, don't pass me by. I will not let you go. Return to the Lord your God. And this is really the call that is echoed in the final chapter of Hosea. Right? I think this sums it up. Hosea chapter 14 the last chapter, verse 1, it says this, return to the Lord your God. And as we round up, you know, our short series on Hosea, 
I know that some things in the book are a bit confusing. Some details are a bit hard to understand. But I hope you catch the main message. You know, it's, it's hard to give you a very kind of neat and systematic outline of the book because if you remember, I mentioned in the last sermon, right, that the book of Hosea shows God as a God of deep emotions. He is passionate. He has intense feelings for you. And He is a God who is absolutely holy, absolutely righteous, and therefore He is deeply offended by sin. He must condemn and He must judge sin. But at the same time, at the very same time, God so loves you. And He loves you so deeply and so intensely and, and so relentlessly that He cannot give you up. He says, Ephraim, how can I give you up? And that is why it is very hard to come up with an, uh, an outline because all we see is this seesaw pattern of God's words of judgment and then His words of grace. Right? We see His holy wrath and then we see His holy love. And it is a repeated cycle. There is judgment, there is condemnation, there is warning. But then there is also mercy and grace, love, forgiveness, restoration. And God's message in Hosea ends with a call to return. Return home. Return to the Lord your God. Now, I know that maybe the sermon today is not the easiest to follow. But if you didn't really understand everything, just catch this one thing. That like many, many of the prophetic books, the key message of Hosea is a call to repentance. And repentance simply means to turn back. It is a call to return. Because of the promise of God's faithfulness and love, despite our human unfaithfulness, despite our human rebellion. And we see this in the final chapter, right? Chapter 14. A final appeal and call to return to God. And it was a call to rebellious and unfaithful Israel. And I believe today it is a call for us too. I don't know if there are any, any of you here. Maybe you feel like you've turned away from God. Or you've drifted away. Or you've wandered away. You feel far away for whatever reason. God says, Come back home to me. Return. Return to the Lord your God. You know, you know the sins of Israel, right? Being unfaithful, chasing after other gods. Those are our sins as well, right? We, we don't worship maybe idols and statues like Baal. But we also chase after false gods, right? We chase after materialism, worldly success, popularity. Right? And many of us, we look to these things for our security, for our satisfaction, for our identity, instead of God. And those are false gods. Israel's sin of practicing mere religion without real devotion, that is our sin as well. Right? Having an external form of religion while our hearts are far away. And God says in an earlier chapter, God says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I desire an acknowledgement of God, not just burnt offerings. You see, it's not about our religious activity. It's not about coming to church or doing stuff in church. Religion cannot save us. God wants your heart. And that's what Israel didn't want to give to him. Israel's sin of, of lies and deceit and rebellion. We're guilty of that too, right? So often we say, God, I'll follow you. 
Yeah, I'll do anything for you. I give you my life. And then we don't obey. We do what God says not to do. And we call Him Lord, Lord, but we don't do what He says. We're guilty. We're guilty of all these things as well. But today God says to us, just as He said to Israel, return. Return to the Lord, your God. He is your God. He is your Father. And as a father, he loves you not because of what you do, but simply because you are his. But you have to return. You have to come back. Don't stay far away. Don't stay far off. Come home. Come back to where you belong, to your God. Return. And in chapter 14, God goes on to tell us how to return. Chapter 14, verse 2, he says, Take words with you and return to the Lord. He says, speak these words of confession and repentance. He says, uh, uh, verse 2, say to him, say to God, forgive all our sins and receive us graciously. Right? I mean, these are the words that we say when we first become a Christian, isn't it? Forgive me of, our, of my sin. Take me as your child. Right? Let's look at verse 3, 14 verse 3. Assyria cannot save us. We will not mount war horses. We will never again say our gods to what our own hands have made. For in you, the fatherless find compassion. You see, repentance and returning is, is not just about turning to God. It also involves turning away from other gods, other things that we are tempted to put our trust in, right? Other things that, other things that we are tempted to find satisfaction in, things that we are tempted to worship, things that we are tempted to fix our hearts on, give our attention to instead of God. Right? Israel had to turn away from their false gods. They had to turn away from gods that their own hands had made, like, like the golden calf, like the idols, idols they fashioned. And Israel also had to turn away from trying to find salvation and help in other countries. You see, part of God's charge against Israel, part of Israel's sin, was that they kept looking to foreign alliances to help them. Foreign countries like Assyria and Egypt to save them instead of trusting in God. Now, in the same way for us, we have to turn away from putting our hopes in futile things. Don't look to secular things for spiritual problems. You, you know, if you are struggling with loneliness, you need to turn to God, the Father and the friend who will never leave you, never forsake you, and never let you down. Don't look to human solutions. Don't try to find a boyfriend or a girlfriend or whatever. It's going to just make your life worse, okay? If you're struggling with your identity, right, don't look to secular things like, like popularity or on social media or whatever to fill your need. Go to the one who created you and who gave you identity. If you are struggling with anxiety, right, don't turn to temporary secular things as a solution, Go to Jesus, the true source of peace, the immovable rock, the anchor for our soul. Turn away from everything else that does not satisfy and cannot save you. Turn away from secular and worldly solutions and turn to God. Return to the Lord your God. And so God says, repent, return, and then receive. If you look at verses 4 to 8, chapter 14, verses 4 to 8, you see, this is God's response when we return. And, and it is a beautiful picture. He says, I will heal their waywardness, right? 
the rebellious child, I will heal their waywardness and love them freely, for my anger has turned away from them. We return to God to find healing, love, forgiveness, right? Just like the prodigal son, he came home, he expected judgment, he expected to work as a, as a servant, but the father hugged him, and the father showered him with blessing. It's the same with God. Verse 5, I will be like the dew to Israel. He will blossom like a lily. Right? In God, we find a new start. We, we find fresh life. Like a cedar of Lebanon, he will send down his roots. There is a rootedness and a stability in God. But we don't have to depend on false God. God is our constant. We find our security in him and we will not be shaken. And he goes on to say, right, his young shoots will grow, his splendor will be like an olive tree, his fragrance like the cedar of Lebanon. People will dwell again in his shade. There is protection, right? They will flourish like the grain. They will blossom like the vine. In fact, if you look at verse 8, right, the second part of verse 8, I don't know, some NIV uh, versions say it a little differently, but in mine it says, I am like a green pine tree, your fruitfulness comes from me, right? Doesn't it sound a bit like John 15, right? I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Return to the Lord your God. In Him, you find everything that we need, right? And this is all, all this, right? Verses 4 to 8, all this is stuff that we receive when we turn to God. We have to turn away from worldly things or we receive all this. And finally, the chapter and the entire book of Hosea ends with this. Okay, it's, kind of, it's almost like a little reflective piece, right? It says, who is wise? Let them realize these things. Who is discerning? Let them understand. The ways of the Lord are right. The righteous walk in them, but the rebellious stumble in them. You know, as we consider the love and the faithfulness of our God, our Father, in the face of our rebellion, right, our continual rebellion, our unfaithfulness. And as we hear the Father passionately wooing us back and inviting us back, right, the only wise and discerning thing to do is to respond to the grace of the living God and walk in His ways, to return home to the Lord your God. You know, um, I really believe, Lao Jen, that there is a message for us in this book of Hosea. I don't know if some of you think that, that like this series on Hosea is a little bit random, like who studies the minor prophets. Um, and you know, originally, uh, I wanted to call this series Reckless Love because um, I thought like, it would be cool, like the song, because it's so controversial and you know, everybody would be like, ah, okay. But you know, in preparing for this, and I know it's a short series, but in preparing for this, I, I think that the message is, is very clear. And I really believe that, that, that God wanted us to hear this message of Hosea at this time. And the message is this, return, return to the relentless love of God. Come back home, return to His relentless love. Now, I don't know about you, um, for me, I've, I, 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 as I've shared with you, right, my Christian life, sometimes I feel like it's like up and down, you know, you, you turn away and then you repent and then, and, and then you, uh, you sin again, you screw up and then you fail and then, and you come back, and then it's like a cycle. But you know what? You know what? God knows all this from the start. He knew from the start 
that our Christian life is like that. He had zero expectations the moment you became a Christian that, oh, from then on, oh, this guy is going to be like the perfect Christian. Just like at this point, I do not expect at all that my kids are going to grow up as perfect kids. You know, that, that for the rest of their lives, they will never make me angry and they will just be like the perfect kids and, and do everything right and like that, that everything will be great. Like, no. We know. Parents know you're going to screw up. And God's call is always this. Every time you screw up, just come home. Don't stay outside. Don't remain outside. Just keep coming back. Keep returning. Return to the Lord your God because His love is relentless. You cannot exhaust His love. You cannot use it up. Right? You cannot like, oh shucks, the voucher expired already. It never gets there. His love is relentless and His love pursues us. Just like Hosea pursued Goma and bought her back. Right? Just like years, years after his deceit, Jacob had that wrestling with the Lord because God is saying, return home. Return. And there may be, some, there may be a period of wrestling. There may be a period of struggle. There may be a period of, of you know, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that wrestling wasn't like a, like a casual, fun, like wrestling, you know? It was wrestling. I mean, his, his hip, like, <laughs> his hip got busted, right? There was a wrestling with God. But that was his encounter. And God is saying, come home. Come home. Return to the Lord. Can we get the, the worship team up? I think today, as we, as we round up um, the book of Hosea, Right, the question is really this. Will you be wise? Will you turn from your sin and return to your Lord, to the Lord your God? Will you turn away from everything else that does not satisfy and return to the Lord God? Will you respond to the relentless love of God and His call to come home? Yes, we may be the, the, the rebellious child. We may be the unfaithful wife. But that's precisely the point, that the love of God is relentless. Relentless means it doesn't give up. It never stops. It never fails you. And all God is saying is, come home. Return. Get into the house. The prodigal son, he had to turn back. The father was waiting all the time. He was always looking out for the son. But the son needed to come home. He needed to turn back and come home in order to receive that love, that forgiveness, that reconciliation, and all the blessings of being in the father's house. Would you all stand up? You know, I have no interest in, in, in theatrics or emotional hyping up or whatever. And so if, if God is speaking to you today, I want to encourage you, don't resist and return. The Father is waiting. The Father has always been waiting. Yes, there are consequences to our sin. Yes, our sin is serious. But the gift of God is eternal life. And the grace of God is always there. The love of God is always there. 
all you need to do is return. Come home. Return, Lord our God. And as, as, um, as, as the worship team plays, I don't know, some of you, maybe you need to do some transaction with God. Maybe you need to do that, that wrestling with God. You know, you need an encounter just like Jacob had with God. It's fine. Do that. Wrestle with God. Contend with Him. He can take it. But return. Turn back and come home. And so we're going to open the altar. We're just going to worship. We're going to open the altar. If you need to do this transaction with God, I encourage you to come to the front. If you need prayer, if you feel like you need to, you know, signal your commitment of returning by coming to the front, come to the front and, and do your business with God. Oh, the 
to open and I just want to say that I think there are some of you here you need to do business with God and, and the Lord is calling you the Father says He is waiting He has always been waiting and if that is you and you need you need that encounter with God and I want to encourage you to be like Jacob and says God I will not let you go I will not let you go because I have nothing else to hold on to really and so if that is you, I encourage you, do your transaction with God. Do your business with God. The Father is waiting. The Father is calling you to come home. Return to the Lord your God. You don't need to respond. It's fine if you don't want to come up. But I want to encourage you, do your business with God and respond to God. Worship team, if you need to respond, let's just leave the keyboardist. And if you need to respond, it's fine as well. Your love is devoted Like a ring of solid gold Like a vow that is tested Like a covenant of old Your love is enduring through the winter rain and beyond the horizon with mercy for today and faithful you have been and faithful you will be you pledge yourself to me and it's why I sing your praise 
ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips, your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips, your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips, your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on
I'm sorry when I just gone through the motions. I'm sorry when I just sing another song. Take me back to when we started. I open up my heart to I'm sorry when I come with my agenda. I'm sorry when I forget you're enough. Take me back to where we started. I open up my heart to you. I'm caught up in just want to sit here at your feet. I'm caught up in this holy moment. I never want to leave. Oh, I'm not here for blessing. Jesus, you don't know me anything and more than anything that you can do I just want you I just want you nothing else nothing else Nothing else will do. I just want you. And nothing else. And nothing else. Nothing else will do. I just want you. And nothing else. And nothing else. Nothing else will do. I just want you. Nothing else. Nothing else. Nothing else will do. I just want you. I'm caught up in your presence. 
Can we all stand up and let's close in prayer? Come, let's pray. God, we say we stand in awe of your holiness and your love and your grace toward us. God, we thank you that you are our good Father. God, you love us unconditionally. You love us relentlessly. And your love pursues us and does not give up on us. So God, I pray that as in the face of this love, in the face of your relentless love, God, I pray that we will be wise and discerning. That God, we will realize how much you love us. We will understand your grace toward us. And we will walk in your ways. We will come home and keep returning to you. And we will walk in your ways. So God, be with us. We thank you so much for loving us. And we say we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I hope God continues to speak to you. I'll see you tomorrow for football or next week. <laughs>